Well, you know, I wanted to say before I let it get away from me that one of the things that I'm supremely grateful for is uh, what you've done for me already on my birthday. And uh, it, it's not even come yet. <laughs> my birthday's on the 27th, and uh, I had something I was believing God for, and uh, it's already been funded by your gifts and, the, you know, the things, the money that you've put in cards, and but the things you've said and the the cream cheese pie you made is just uh, just really, you know, the, it's just been communicated uh, to me in, in a very tangible way, uh, you know, that I mean something to you. And uh, not that I doubt that, but I just want to tell you I'm grateful. I'm grateful for each and every person uh, that uh, gives me the honor of calling them their pastor. And it's an awesome privilege. It's a weighty thing. And my wife and I are just so grateful for the continual things that you all do to take care of us, to pray for us, uh, to make sure that we're blessed, and we are. And uh, just thank you, everyone. Praise God. And uh, happy Thanksgiving. Amen to everyone. Praise God. Okay, I'll get it together. That video, I watched it yesterday and kind of took me out there and it did it again. So anyway, praise God. Let's go back over, if you will, to Ephesians chapter number 6. And are you okay to get in the Word for a while? Now, if you know me, some of you know me pretty well, I'm not a real good holiday preacher. (laughs) God has us in a vein of topic and of emphasis. And um, that's what I have peace about continuing on today. Now, if you've uh, a guest with us or if you've been unable to be with us consistently this last several weeks, uh, we have been talking about uh, steadfast faith and how to develop not just belief in God, trust in God. That's what faith is. Faith simply is a trust in God to the degree that you really are relying on Him. You know, when you rely on something or some person... You are so confident they're going to come through, they're going to do what they're intending to do or always do that you just don't think about it or there, you know, there would be a consequence if they didn't. You know, if you came across a bridge today, most of us did to get here, we relied on that thing to hold our vehicle up while we crossed over to the other side. Amen. And God wants us to rely on Him. Not just when things are rosy. You know, anyone can trust God when things are going good. But I mean when all H-E-L-L has broken loose in your life. And it seems like all the demons in hell left every other human alone because they're all ganging up on you. That in those moments that you remain confident that your reliance on God is well-founded, And that you will not be disappointed. I mean, uh, no one could really call themselves a young man, a young woman of faith until they have faced real hardship and real need and trusted and for themselves, they saw God come through. You might have seen that happen in my life, God move in someone else's life. But until you face unpaid bills with no way to pay them and they get paid. Until you faced relational crisis and you see God sustain it and turn it and bless it. 
Until you see God turn your wayward child back to Him. Right? Protect you in a dangerous moment. Heal your body when the doctors even said it can't be done. Then, you know, you, you could aspire to faith, but you haven't really walked and lived by faith. One of my uh, best friends, uh, he was studying on the subject of faith, uh, you know, at some point. And he said that God broke in and said to him, he said, you know, son, uh, I want to ask you, why don't more of my children actually live by faith? And uh, you know, when God asks a question, you shouldn't try to answer it. When God asks a question, it's because he wants you to get, he wants you to, he wants to give you his answer. Yeah. Right. He wants to, and so wisely my friend said, well, no, I guess I don't, God. Why don't more of your children live by faith? And God's answer to him in that moment was, because they don't have to. They don't have to. They've got credit scores and credit cards, and they have hospitals and clinics and insurance and medications and surgeries. He said, most of my children in America They don't live by faith because they don't have to. They rely on other things. And I guess, you know, for most Americans, it looks like at least in the short term, they're getting away with that. But I tell you what, what if a day comes and you can't lean on your credit score anymore? Or you've maxed out your credit card? Or you reach the limit of what a doctor can do? If you've not decided on purpose to kick off all the crutches you've been leaning on in the world, in the natural, and learn to live by faith because it's the highest and best way to live, then when you really need your faith, you're going to wish you had. So you need to find areas and find ways to live by faith. Instead of running to the medicine cabinet every time, why don't you run to the Word? Give the Word a chance. It's not like you're going to die. Amen. But practice. Practice receiving healing on the promise of God alone. Amen. Instead of swiping the card, first response, why don't you pray and ask God to help you with it? Give Him a little time. Let Him speak to it. Let Him move on your behalf. Amen. And, uh, but in learning how to live by faith, We have to talk about how to stand because very few of the prayers we pray will be instantly answered. They are instantly answered from heaven. The Bible says that all God's promises are yes and amen. Yes and amen. But it takes time is what I mean. You know what I mean. It takes time for God's yes answer to from heaven, from his throne to materialize in this three dimensional world. And so there is this space of time between amen and there it is. And we can sabotage, and many times it's happened, we fail to stand firm, unchanged and unmoved in our stand of faith. And so this is, this whole topic is what makes faith a fight. It's not a fight to get faith. We know how to get faith. Satan can't stop you from getting a house, a truckload of faith. Faith comes by hearing, Romans 10, 17. He can't stop you from releasing your faith, exercising your faith. That's done primarily through the Word of God in prayer. But what Satan does is while you're waiting for that manifestation to realize, he is going to attack your mind. 
He is going to make your emotions feel things that are not pleasant. With the goal, His objective is to get your cooperation to move out of that place of faith into a place of doubt. Because James tells all Christians, all believers, everyone who write, you know, would read his letter, that God is plain and God is fair. That if, the person, if a person becomes double-minded, if they doubt, if they waver in their faith, James says, let not that person think that they'll receive anything of the Lord. Right? Oh, God will do it because He loves me. If you waver, He won't because He's not going to violate His Word to bail you out. He's not going to violate His Word to bail me out. What God expects from us is not only faith, but a faith unwavering. A faith unchanging, no matter what comes. Does everyone see that? And we're all in the same boat together. You know what most people do is they throw out these prayers, and they just keep throwing wet paper wads of prayer, hoping something will stick against God's wall. Or they're really trying to, through desperation and tears and crying and walking the floor at night, trying to get God to see fit to do something for them. Oh God! Like you're trying to get God to decide to go ahead and heal you. God already decided to heal you. Brother Scott, would you go get my whip? Yeah, I want to show people my whip. God's already, you know, people think, oh God, oh God, we want to give God all these reasons. Oh God, why you should heal my baby. I know you don't heal all babies, but if you would just heal my life. And we think we're going to, that the, the, the prayer life is try to get God to be disposed to do something for us that He's not otherwise disposed to do. Listen, we're not that persuasive. None of us are going to get God to do something for us that He doesn't want to do. Now, y'all are all safe. Uh, I've always been moved by what Jesus did for us at the whipping post. And you, you have to ask yourself in the area of healing, if all that was necessary to remit our sins is the shedding of His blood, why was the whipping post necessary? The language of redemption around Jesus' experience at the whipping post has nothing to do with the payment of your sins. He could have avoided the whipping post and just gone to the cross and shed His blood if the remission of our sins was all that God had in mind. Hello? But God, through the person of His Son, suffered for mankind in all three aspects or areas of His being. Jesus suffered in spirit. Now this offends religious people, but, and I know that there's a theological debate out there, depending on how close you're paying attention. Did Jesus die spiritually? Did deity die spiritually? Well, if Jesus didn't die spiritually, then you're not alive spiritually. Is that right? Because Jesus, he, if He didn't die spiritually for you, then He can't be your substitute because we were dead spiritually. 
So when he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? He wasn't just being emotional. He was telling a truth that he became sin in that moment. And the moment he became sin, his father turned his back on him. And he cried out on the cross, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The definition of spiritual death is simply this, to be forcibly separated from God. Was Jesus forcibly separated from God? Absolutely He was. He was. For three days and nights, He suffered in hell, in the heart of the earth for you and for me. But then in Isaiah 53, we could also read that the chastisement of our peace was upon Him. Peace is manifest in the soul, in our emotions. It's a fruit of the Spirit, but it affects the soul. Right? Jesus suffered for us in the soulish realm. He felt fear and anguish and torment and loss. He suffered for us in the area of the soul that our souls might be redeemed unto Him. But then did He suffer for us in the flesh? The Bible says that He willingly came up to a three and a half, four foot post, whatever that was, and uh, they would have bound his, his hands with chains to this whipping post. And they would have, you know, bent him over, exposed his back. And I had Brett do some history because I wanted as accurate of a replica as I could find a history. And on mine, I know you probably can't see the writing here, but it says right-handed. And uh, what they would have done, we know Jesus received 39 of these. And uh, there would have been two, according to history, the way the Romans did this, there would have been two soldiers, one with one in the right hand and one in the one with the left. And when, the, when Pilate gave the word, they would have started in on him. And this, this particular one has uh, lead and wire in it. They've embedded it with nails. Oftentimes they would have had a real sticky substance full of glass, rock, bone, and stone. And they would have raked that through there so that every bit of this would have been dripping with shards of glass and rock and bone. And they would have laid this each stripe into the top of Jesus' back. And then they, what they did is they pulled down, ripping flesh as they went. See, it's the most ridiculous thing to try to think in prayer that you've got to talk God into healing you. The Bible says that by His stripes, by the blows that cut in, is what those that's word stripes mean. By His stripes, you were healed. He paid for our healing in the most violent of terms. In the most costly of terms. He suffered for us in body. He was made sick. If you read Isaiah 53, God has made one human sick. He made God made one human sick. He made Jesus, the man, sick with our sicknesses, that by his stripes we would be healed. You don't have to pray and ask God to get, to, to get in the mood to heal you. Well, what's the issue then? Faith to receive it. Faith to receive it. To develop a faith in his word. Amen that is so steadfast and strong, symptoms don't move me. Test results don't move me. 
The passing of time does not move me. The registering of pain in my body does not move me. Jesus paid the price that I might be healed and I believe I receive it. And you take that stand and you stay on that place until the healing springs forth in your body. Hallelujah. I know many, many things that we have thought and said and taught as Christians about healing have been sincere, but people have been sincerely wrong and grossly ignorant. It is the will of God for every one of His children to be healed totally, completely, all the time. Now, none of that's in my notes, but hallelujah, it's good anyway. In Ephesians chapter 6, we see Paul's admonition that uh, we're going to have to do things, beginning in verse 10, Ephesians 6.10, to be able to stand against the wiles or the strategies of the devil. One of those things, of course, is that we put on the whole armor of God. And I like the helmet of salvation, right? What is the helmet of salvation? Well, it just simply means, I know I'm saved. <laughs> you need to know you're saved. Come on, do you know it? Do you know you're a child of God? I mean, not just in your head, but down through your bones. Amen. I know I'm saved. And that word saved does not just mean uh, saved from sin, but it means to be healed, it means to be whole, it means to be prosperous, it means to be peaceful, it means to be divinely rescued. In every area, the Greek word soteria is like a Christmas box that's got five or six or seven gifts in it, and you thought there was one gift. We talk about the one gift of salvation. Thank God for that. That's the big box. Amen? But in that box of salvation comes healing and prosperity and divine protection and the wisdom of God and the joy of God and the peace of God. And don't leave any box unwrapped. Don't leave any package not tapped into. You know, one thing we don't have a problem with at our house is when we start opening gifts... We open all of them. We're not going to leave even one gift under the tree. Amen. And then I'm going to poke a hole in the stock and make sure I get it all out of that sock. So many Christians are leaving redemptive benefits on the table. Hallelujah. Anyway, take note of verse 13. Verse 13, again from my Amplified Translation, says, Therefore put on God's complete armor that you may be able to resist and stand your ground on the evil day of danger. And having done all that the crisis demands, stand firmly in your place. (laughs) I like that. In other words, uh, in our opposition to the enemy, we are going to stake out some ground and we are not going to be moved from our place. We had a little Facebook conversation last night. Uh, you know, I was my son and I watching the Sooners play. That's where Amber and I went to school, the great University of Oklahoma. And Sister Debbie here says, what the heck is a Sooner anyway? <laughs> well, a Sooner is, you know, they opened the Oklahoma land territory in 1889 on a specific day. And all those pioneers, they lined up their families on horses and wagons. And they lined up on the line. And when they opened up the territory, the gun went off, and it was a mad chase to go do what? Stake your claim. Stake your claim. Well, a sooner is someone who snuck in the night before. (laughs) They snuck in the night before, 
And when the gun went off and the riders showed up, they're already there and they already got their stakes off. So yes, we're a bunch of cheaters. Oh, so you know what a boomer is. The boomer is the people who did it right. Boom, here we go. Okay, well, I'm on the boomer, boomer side of that. But anyway, once you got into that territory, you had to not only stake your claim, you had to hold and defend your claim. And God has made, He has opened up the territory of the blessings of God for all of His children. But He's not going to stake your claim. And you can have a big a plot as you want. But you have got to stake your claim of faith on the ground of healing, prosperity, find the promises of God in the Word, and stake your claim. But then you've got to hold and stand your ground. One of, I've got to advance this thing, one of the great uh, and favorite strategies of the enemy is the fiery dart of fear. Fear moves people. Right? I mean, you walk up and there's a, you on the front stoop there and you, you look down and there's a pile of baby cotton mouth, you know, copperhead snakes down there. You'd probably be moving if you're smart. Right? The, 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 the hope of fear is to move you. Move you. Or to keep you from moving into what you were intending to move into. And Satan has successfully robbed many, many, many people of their answer to prayer by getting them to yield to the spirit of fear. And so it is important for us if we're going to be uh, skillful in this life of faith, having the kind of faith that is steadfast, unmoving, unchanging till the answer comes, we're going to have to launch a war on fear and learn how to overcome and resist fear as it tries to come against us. Amen? Uh, and it's just a hugely, hugely important thing. Um, I'm not going to be able to get to everything I have on these pieces of paper. And, uh, but go over to uh, Matthew 14. Matthew 14. And let's just look at a vivid example of how you could start out in faith but lose the full fruit of what you were believing for, miss out on the miracle, not because God changed His mind or said no or His power failed, but because you yielded to fear. Y'all getting some help? You know, Pastor, I know I shouldn't be, but the devil, I mean, he's just so mean. You know, yeah, I, do, I have to deal with him too. Amen? We can't win the faith life until we get this right. I think, I think a lot of us, we just expect God to help us in spite of ourselves. And you know what? Many times He has. Thank God for that. But we don't want to bank on that, right? And I don't know about you, I want my faith to be of such quality that it pleases the Lord. I want him to look down at me from heaven and go, that's my boy right there. Look at all the, look at all the mess, the, the dust the devil's kicking at. Look at him. Just standing there, unmoved, full of joy, full of peace. 
Write that down. I'm going to bless him for that. And be sure to get him his answer quick. I want my faith to make the Father smile. I certainly don't want to hurt the Father by constantly doubting Him every, kind of, every time a little trouble or pressure comes my way. Amen? You don't see God going, Hello? I am God. I am, right? Why won't you believe me? Amen. So here we have Peter and the other disciples in a boat. And here comes Jesus in the fourth watch of the night, walking on the water. You know, Jesus is a water walker. Miracles are the everyday norm for him. That's his flow. Amen. And they were alarmed and he had to calm them down. He said, be not afraid, it is I. And Peter, I don't know if he regretted saying this or if he was just, I I suspect Peter's an impulsive person. That he just opened his mouth and boop, there it came. And we can see it in verse 20. It says, And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it be thou... I mean, see, why didn't you believe him? He just said it was me. If it be thou, if it be you, bid me or invite me to come unto you on the water. Well, now he's put Jesus in a real box. What's Jesus going to do? It's him. It is him. So he goes, come. He gave him one word. Verse 29, he said, come. And when Peter was come down out of the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. Listen, come on, Peter, just a, just a blood and bone man, just like you, just like me, imperfect, just from a different time. Did he walk on the water? Come on, did he walk on the water? Come on, he walked on the water, guys. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. You can't do that in the natural. I don't know if you know that. But he walked on the water. Is he, exp- is he moving in faith? Is he experiencing the miraculous? Yes, he is. Did Satan let that go? No, Satan's not going to let that go. And when you start walking on the water, he's not going to let that go either. Uh, Amen. I wish he would, but he doesn't. And so it says, Peter, when he was come down under the ship, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But, oh, there's that big but again. Verse 30. But when he saw the wind boisterous, he was... Afraid. He was afraid. Or you might think of it this way. He yielded to fear. He yielded to fear. And beginning to sink, he cried saying, Lord, save me. And that's what most of our prayers look like. (laughs) Father, save me. Right? And did Jesus save him? Yeah. But what did he tell him as they were walking back? Oh, thou of... Little faith. You know, a faith that's moved into fear while it's standing, Jesus calls little faith. Big faith, right? The faith that really pleases Him is the faith that won't move, doesn't matter how windy it gets out there. Hallelujah. Why or wherefore didst thou doubt? You think we ought to go back and talk King James? We could all say, wherefore didst thou doubt? No, we just simply say, Peter, hey man, you were doing good. That's the Cody translation, right? You were doing good. Why did you doubt? Well, he would have to, if he was going to honest to say, 
because I got scared. Because I got scared, I doubted. Now, the moment he doubted, the moment he yielded to fear, notice what happened. From that moment, the power that was holding him up on the water ceased to function. And he began to go down. He began to go down. Now there's a simple kind of order here in this 30th verse that we should take note of. Right? So he's he's out doing good. He's out in faith. But the first thing it says in verse 30, number one is, he saw Satan put something in front of him, drew his attention to something ominous, to something natural. He saw. And Satan was helping him with that. He saw. What is what is waves or smooth water have to do with walking on the water? Is it easier to walk on the water if it's smooth and it's it's harder if it's wavy? <laughs> no. You, when it's like glass, you can't walk on water. What does that have to do with anything? Nothing. Nothing. But it's it's ooh, devil going, ooh, look at this shiny object. Ooh. And got his eyes off of Jesus, his attention off the word come, and he got his eyes on what the devil wanted him to look at. So that's number one. You're out in faith. What you could expect is something to come along that Satan wants you to look at. Look at that doctor's report. Look at that bruise on your leg. Look at that bill on that table. <laughs> look at that. Well, look at what they just said. Look at what they just did. Right? And then you got to know, Satan, when he uh, attacks you, Brother Jerry, in your circumstance, he always sends fear with it. So he's going to attack you in your circumstance, and then he's going to make you feel fear along with it. We're all going to be made to feel the effect of fear. Amen? Now, feeling the fear doesn't mean that you've yielded to the fear. You need to understand that. Just feeling the fear doesn't mean that you've yielded to the fear. But it's so vitally important what you do when you feel fear come on you. Right? Peter should have just quickly gone, uh-uh, where's Jesus at? There he is. And go right back to walking on the water. Get his attention right back off with it, right? And go right back to, he said, come, I'm coming. And he would have walked all the way and Jesus wouldn't have had to rescue him. He wouldn't have been robbed of miracle power. So number one, the devil made him see. Number two, it says, when he saw, he was afraid. So he decided that what he saw mattered. If you decide that what the devil causes you to see and feel matters, you're, you're right? Because he, he made this quick unconscious decision. Oh, this, these high winds and this wave, they, they matter. What am I doing out here? And boom, now he's, now he's in doubt. Right? I don't know about you in your life, but when I'm moving uh, towards faith in, in some things, especially towards projects God's assigned to me, I'll have this thought come, what in the world am I doing? What in the world? What am I thinking? What have, oh my God, what have I done? Oh my. Have you? 
You haven't walked with God very long. You know, like the guys that uh, did the miracle, the first miracle that Jesus ever worked was turning water into wine. Can you imagine being that guy? Oh, he says, okay, now, now dip, dip your cup in that water and take it to the governor. And so he does, and you've got to know on his way up there, he's going, what am I doing? Is it wine? You know, is it, is it wine? Is, it, is he looking? Is it wine? Right? So he's out there going, holy moly, what am I doing? But somewhere along the line, right, probably right about the time the governor got it in his hand, that water turned into wine. But see, you don't get to experience the miracles unless, unless you're willing to walk toward the impossible with water instead of wine in your cup. Amen. When God said, I want you to relocate your ministry, I want you to get in position for a last day, move my spirit, I want you to build a building. Well, we just had to start walking towards the impossible. And I guarantee you for years, I had moments like, oh, what have I, what have I done? What have we done? Right? We're going to crash and we're going to burn. But we didn't. We didn't. Amen? So, sir, he saw... He was afraid. He began to sink. There's your recipe for your faith not to work for you. Look at the wrong thing. Yield to fear. And you're going to go down. Look at the wrong thing. Yield to fear. And you're going to go down. The way to keep your faith vibrant is to be very disciplined on where your attention goes. Because your life is heading in the direction of your attention. So if your attention is on Him, and your attention is on what He said, and your attention is on the Word and His goodness, His faithfulness, His power, then that's where your life's headed. Your, your body's heading towards health. Your uh, finances are heading towards wealth. Your soul is heading towards peace, right? But if you, if you turn aside to look at the devil's shiny objects... So much that you get your attention off what God's Word says, that you will, like Him, yield to fear, and you will begin to sink. Amen. You know, every one of us are led by something and someone. We sang about it in that second song, He is my shepherd. Well, if, if, if it's the Lord that's got her hand, that's going to show up pretty quick, right? I mean, if you've really got the Lord by the hand and He's your shepherd, you're going to find yourself lying beside green, in green pastures and lying down beside still waters. And even if you find yourself in the valley, there's no need to be afraid because He's with you. His rod and His staff, He comforts you and you're going to come out of that valley time and goodness and mercy are going to follow you all the days of your life because the good shepherd's going to lead you to good places. Yeah. Yeah. Amen? Amen. Amen. And when I'm walking by faith, then I know I got the Lord by the hand. Right? Because I'm moving in trust and I'm moving in reliance on Him, what He says. But if I'm influenced by fear and my actions and my words begin to be in line with what I'm afraid of, then I no longer have the Lord by the hand. I'm being led around by the devil. 
Who wants to be led by the devil? But you know, many Christians are. They are led by their fears. They will not go in the direction that would be fearful for them. Right? So many people say they give lip service to really wanting to be a kingdom funder and a big offering giver. But if you can't get over the fear of giving a hundred bucks that it looks like you need, like right then, see, you're never going to move over into that realm. Because God will ask you to give money that it looks to you like, I can't give that. Why? Because you're afraid. Oh, okay, so who led you in today's offering then? Not God, not faith. You were led by the devil this morning. I'm not talking about you. I'm just talking about the in general hypothetical. You know what I mean? None of y'all. In that other church up the road. That, you know, that, we, we don't do that around here, right? We don't do that around here. Right? But so many people are deciding what they do and what they don't do based on what fear is telling them. And you just got to know, fear is the enemy's influence. And if you've been moved in the direction of fear or stopped and paralyzed, right? Why didn't those Israelites get up and fight Goliath for 40 days and 40 nights? Why didn't they get up out of that ditch? Because they saw something. They saw something about nine feet tall. Right? And about a thousand pounds. That's what they saw. And what they saw made them afraid. And so they did not move toward what they should have moved toward because their decisions are being made by the Lord of fear. And it took this little shepherd boy with curly red hair and freckles, history kind of alludes and tells us, right? Not trained in the things of war, but someone who knew his God and trusted his God and knew he had a covenant with God. And here's one man inspired by faith instead of fear. And he takes down Israel's greatest enemy and the biggest giant they ever saw. Amen. Because he decided to move in the very direction Satan said don't go. Amen. And if you want to live in victory over fear, violate that fear. Violate that fear. Amen. If you're afraid of flying, come go fly with me. I'm serious. You know, I don't know. I just don't drive at night. Why not? Right? I mean, unless there's something physically going on with your eyes that's legit, and then fear's keeping you locked up in your house at night when you could come to Wednesday night church. How come more people don't step out in their call? They're scared. They're scared. You know, I had to deal with a lot of fear to move from my, my home, my childhood home, and my family to come out to... Paducah. Where in the Paducah? What is the pa- what? Right, Paducah, where you don't know anybody and you don't have a foundation. Where it's just a lot of things not normal around here. You know where I grew up? They have actually square blocks. You ain't there. Ain't nothing square around here. I know that's because of the river, right? But there's nothing square around here. Everything's on some goofy curve and goofy angle. And then with all of Paducah's, you know, wonderful taxes, we can't even afford, you know, afford street signs. You know, in Oklahoma, there's a street sign on every corner, and it's in the same place on each, in each intersection. But you never know where, if there's a sign, where they might have put it. Y'all know what I'm talking about? 
And y'all get around by places like, oh yeah, Massac Tungsten Kitchen, turn left. We're like, where's that? You know, Paducah's halfway between Possum's Trot and Monkey's Eyebrow. Oh my God. But see, what Amber and I just had to do, we had to face a great big unknown. Stepping out and acting on the leading of the Lord. And you need to get where this is your lifestyle. I violate fear to act on the leading of the Lord. I violate fear to act on the leading of the Lord. I violate any fear to act on what the Word says. And when you do that, you'll find faith in God and you will win every time over that fear. I had to face, I mean the spirit of fear attacked me in February when uh, we were about to leave uh, with the Madalas when I was about to leave on a mission trip to India. And I'd been to India before. And I've traveled before. And I'm not unfamiliar to travel and I'm not a nervous guy about that kind of thing. But I mean, I was just covered up with fear. I cried at the airport. I don't cry at the airport. I was walking around this on my last few hours taking photos on my phone of all my family photos. Because the devil was giving me visions of being locked up and detained. And over at 8,000 miles away and I can't get back to my family. You know, and I read about people in India. There's a guy over there now, a pastor from Tennessee. that They still got him locked up over there. Actually, he's free on his own recognizance, but they took his passport. He can't come home. But see, what am I going to do? Am I going to not go? Do you know two blind people got healed? I don't know how we had, I don't know how many saved and all those pastors ministered to and people filled with the Spirit. None of that would have happened had I backed out of that assignment because of the fear I felt. I had to just do that in the presence of fear. Because I had already prayed, I had already looked to the spirit I have on the inside, and he was telling me I was good to go. Right? My habit is when I step across the final step of the jetway, on any airplane I'm about to get on, I'll reach up and put my hand on the outside of that plane, and I'll go, pretty bird, going to take me all the way. But I say that, it's a good confession. Pretty bird, going to take me all the way. But as I do that, I check in here, because that's my last chance. And I just check in here, and I'm looking. I'm not looking to my emotions, but I'm looking in here. Because the God in here will let me know. He'll let me know that I'm safe. Amen? Let's go to one more scripture, and we'll have to close here, because we don't want the food to get cold. And we've got to receive that offering too. Amen. You're getting, getting help. Amen. You know, and, and Satan will attack you in different areas. He knows you. He knows your makeup. He knows your past. He knows your experiences, right? And uh, so he'll customize fear attacks. Got your name on it. And you have to learn to, well, let me say this to you. Treat the feeling of fear like you do an evil spirit. That's how you treat it. So just quick, there's to, to overcome fear when you're made to, when that spirit comes, when that lands on your emotions, and man, your body will pick up the effects, right? I mean, my heart rate was up, you're tense, right? When you're afraid, you get that fight or flight kind of thing going on. And but fear's not just an emotion. 
Paul called it a spirit. So when that feeling, that attack of fear comes against you, treat it like you would a devil, a demon. Well, how do you treat a devil or a demon? You take authority over it. You say, in the name of Jesus, you foul spirit of fear, I resist you. I command you to cease and desist in your operations against me in Jesus' name. You deal with that like you would a demonic spirit. You talk to it and you resist it. But then on the other side, the positive side, you live in the love of God, you stir up the peace of God, you live in the joy of God, and that'll keep fear out. You got to cultivate that. All right, last little verse here in thought. Colossians chapter 3. I thought this come out okay. Are you doing okay? Getting something? Okay. Amen. So uh, I'm going to read this from my Amplified. Colossians 3.15. Mark this verse. Don't let this verse get away from you. Verse 15 says, Let the peace of God, the soul harmony which comes from Christ, rule in your hearts. Fear is not supposed to be sitting on the throne of your heart. God's peace is supposed to rule you. Don't do what fear wants you to do. Don't not do what fear says you can't do. Let the peace of God rule. Let the peace of God reign in your heart. Are you with me? So I have to, what you'd have to do is you have to learn the difference between the activity of my spirit and my feelings and my emotions. God does not lead anyone through your feelings and your emotions. That's where the devil, that's where he likes to play with you. You know, if we were led around by our feelings, we'd, probably none of us would have come to church today. Right? We just slept in, watched football. So we're not led around by our feelings. Shouldn't be. So apart from my feelings and my emotions, I let the peace of God reign. Father, should I, you know, Father, I I really don't want to get locked up. I got a pretty wife. I got kids. I like my life. I'm willing to go for you. But I I really don't want to be imprisoned for the gospel's sake. Well, I don't, the, the persistence of that feeling of fear is not God saying don't go. I step back out of that, and His Spirit lives within me. And sometimes I'll hear Him talk to me down in here, in English. I'll hear Him. One time I heard Him say, put your seatbelt on. I heard Him say that three times. He got stronger each time. I told someone this week, I said, I I wasn't even paying attention to what He said. I'm looking around, who said that? I was real young in the Lord. Put your seat, and I reached over and put it on. About thirty seconds later, I'm in a heavy-duty accident, saved my life. So sometimes I'll hear that, but most of the time, I'm not going to hear him in English. We're going to let the peace of God rule. Hmm, that's a lot of money, Father. I had plans for that money, Father. But if you really want me to give it, and you need me to give it, I'll give it. What are you listening for? Yes, son, give that. No. No. Peace. Mm. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, do it. Yes, do it. 
Yes, that's right. Do it. Okay. Then that, that rules. That trumps everything. So I do it. I write to give the offering. All the while my head's going, oh my. Yes, yes, yes. You're good to go. Go to India. Yes, yes. And you know, we got there and all we had was peace and protection and the supernatural. You know what that means, Brother Derek? The devil lied to me. You know, he did. Is that true? I mean, y'all ever had him do that to you? He lied to me. He was not trying to save my life. He wasn't trying to help me. He made me feel a lot of fear in the hopes that I wouldn't go where that blind man could be healed. Where that guy that couldn't see in his left eye could, be, could see again. Where that gospel wouldn't be preached. What have you not experienced? What have you been moved out of because you yielded to fear? Don't beat yourself up over it. We all have. We all have. Oftentimes we haven't been taught to recognize fear as a spirit. We just think it's a normal human emotion. And it's not. Fear is not natural for the Christian. Fear is an unnatural, right? It's an unnatural state of being for the believer. So whenever it comes up and you're not sure, let the peace of God rule. If, if you're thinking about having a procedure, do you have peace about doing that? If you have peace about doing that, that's him going, you're safe, you're fine. Do that. I'm going to work in that. Go for that. Why do some Christians have a surgery and die of complications and other, people, other Christians have the same surgery? And because It's not because God chose. It's because one didn't hear. Why do some Christians, they come back on an airplane? Some of them, some of them don't. It's not, it's not because they're bad. And it wasn't because God took them. Something was, a leading was missed. Right? Y'all ever missed a leading? Well, it's not like y'all to criticize somebody for missing a leading. You let the peace of God rule. You'll be safe in everything you do. Don't do anything you don't have peace about. Don't leave this campus in your car. You don't have peace about it. Amen. Amen. You want to give today? I do. I've got an offering prepared. Ushers, if you would, let's come up the aisles. We want to receive this offering that we might continue. We have uh, basically completed 2,500 additional square feet, all cash.